going on, everybody? Hello again and welcome back to another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Make some noise, clap it up, get excited, wherever you are. We are back on this Friday afternoon or night whenever you're listening to this show with another banger, another phenomenal episode in store for you today. And the greatest, what on the greatest show in all the globe, The Welch Report right here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. We got a phenomenal show covering the world of boxing today with Emmanuel Verte getting a draw against Conceitsel to retain the super featherweight or his super featherweight championship. Was it well deserved or did the wrong did did the man that should have won potentially not get the right decision on his behalf? Again, a hotly contested fight, but I'm gonna give you my thoughts on all of that as well as Shakur Stevenson versus. Edwin De Los Santos ends in Shakur becoming the new WBC lightweight champion, but in an absolutely abysmal performance for somebody of his caliber. Oh, we're going to break down both of those fights, as well as cover some other stuff in this show. Don't get it twisted. We still covered a wide array of sports on this channel. We're going to do just that on this show, talking about James Harden specifically and the rut that the Clippers have been in ever since he got onto the roster. What is he, the captain? Catalyst for the for the seemingly downward trajectory that we see the Clippers facing right now. What needs to be changed is the move that Russell Westbrook has now opted to do. Moving to the bench, will that affect this team for the better, or is it just a bad situation? All around, and could we have seen the Clippers potentially seal their own fate in this essentially championship drive that they've been trying to do for the past couple of years, now culminating with another failure this season? All that's going to be talked about right here on the Welch Report. So without further ado, let's jump right Oh, well, with further ado, before we get started, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together. Absolutely. Again, we're on the road to a thousand now. Don't cross the 500 threshold mark. Absolutely. Thanks so much for all of your support. Keep on sharing. Keep on subscribing. Keep on liking to get this channel up and up and up in the recommended feeds of everybody in the world as well as we're available on every podcasting platform so please rate us five stars wherever you can find us spotify google apple Podcasts, you name it we're on it and if we're not tell me and i will get there but get those ratings up get those listening numbers up share the show with everybody because they will be entertained oh they will be entertained when they get on this show and when they listen to this show Absolutely. But without further ado, let's jump into the world of boxing. We know what you're all here for. We know why you all want to listen. What the would happen with your core. So it is time, now that we're talking about combat sports, to step into the ring. That's right. Ring the bell like we always say. Let's get it started in this section of combat uh, talk of about combat sports round one on the way for this show talk about a stinker with Shakur Stevenson my goodness you wanted this was a fight I was saying was going to be again a little more drama field in my prediction I thought Shakur was going to get him out of there in terms of get out Edwin De Los Santos within five or eight rounds or again get a unanimous decision now I was right on the unanimous decision hey I'm still getting right on these predictions hey I know what I'm talking about but how the fight went was halfway right in what I said and halfway wrong in what I said because Shakur did keep the distance Shakur did get the range right 
to be able to keep De Los Santos from being able to have any form of offensive ability, negating his athleticism, negating his speed and power. That was correct. He did just that. Staying on the outside, keeping his distance, being able to jump back consistently and make De Santos' aggression ineffective, understandable. That doesn't change the fact that this fight was an absolute snooze fest and was horrible. It was a bad win. Let's just call it like it is. It was a bad win for Shakur Stevenson because while he was able to keep the distance, he wasn't able to get really any substantial offense, and none of them were. He won the fight off of his jab, no doubt about it, consistently catching De Los Santos with, again, low output, but they were they were hitting while making DeSantos miss consistently with his jabs, trying to get on the inside, with his hooks that when he would try to get him in the corner, then try to open up with clinch up on DeSantos to negate any offense, reset, and then go back into the middle of the ring, and then do the dance all over again. Like we said before with other fighters, like we know what Shakur Stevenson, with how he fights and with what he can do, it, was, it wasn't out the question that we could see this, but we didn't think it was going to be this just... I'm I'm not gonna call it a stalemate, but it was it was a tale of two people. One wasn't throwing anything, and the other one couldn't hit the other guy, though he had volume. So you had an aggressor versus a incredibly conservative, essentially pot shotting point scorer and distance manager in Shikor versus Edwin De Los Santos. It was hard to judge. It was incredibly hard to judge. It was incredibly hard to score. Let's face it. For the first four rounds, I didn't. I I had Santos winning, but based off of just sheer aggression, just because he was actually doing something in the ring. I barely registered the, the when it, when they showed the stat that Shakur had landed sixteen jabs by like what round four. I was like, no, that's impossible. That, that there's no way. I didn't even catch him, and I'm watching that fight intently. I didn't even catch the jabs that did land. Because because it was it seemed like he wasn't throwing anything at all. Now again, after round four, then in round five and on, we slowly and I mean incredibly slowly started to see Shakur Stevenson then get more control of the fight. But what I was right about was it took us some time to get that management right in terms of the distance control to adapt to. Edwin De Los Santos' speed and athleticism and legitimate pop. Because he wasn't getting in the range of Edwin De Los Santos. I'll tell you that right now. He was not getting in the range for Edwin De Los Santos because that power, like I said, it is real. And it, it, it will make you wary of him when he starts coming forward. So, yeah, you would say, oh, why didn't he throw anything on the inside or attempt to land some of those counters? Well, one of the reasons why was because of the fact that it was a dangerous, this was a dangerous brother he was going up against. Feeling the breeze of the punches go by in front of him. Oh, yeah, that negated exactly what he could do to some extent because of the danger level of what we saw in terms of Edwin Del Santos and the legitimate, like I said before, the athleticism, the legitimate power, and the ability to close that distance quickly was something that Shakur had to be worried about. So then he opted to say, okay, you know what? I don't need to win trying to just kill my opponent with counters all night long. Nah, just pot shot him and just win the fight by boxing and making him miss all night long and just land consistent jabs in between and I don't need to do anything else. Then I can win the fight. And that's exactly what he did. 
It's exactly what he did. So again, a win is a win, but it was again a bad, boring win by the standards of what we normally see with Shakur Stevenson. Everybody was saying they were falling asleep. I was struggling to keep really invested in that fight as intently as I was trying to watch it because there was barely anything to score for the most part, like we said earlier. That's one of the reasons why we saw score being so defensively minded, potentially even more than we've ever seen him before. I believe he barely got over double digits in scoring in a round. He tried to punch his landing for the entirety of the fight. It was insane. Snooze fest, again. But also because, let's not overlook the fact that Shakur was hurt. He was. Shakur Stevenson was hurt. He was hurt. He was hurt, based on what I can understand, as news is coming out. Injured his hand in training. I believe he injured his left hand in training. And couldn't throw the hook like he wanted to. And wasn't able to really utilize his offense that he wanted to, to the fullest extent, because of that injury, which we saw take immense, an immense amount of his normal game plan out of his arsenal. Because let's face it, that wasn't the same Shakur that we normally see. That's not the same Shakur that we normally tout as being one of the best of the best in the world. And to, from a talent perspective, that's not one, that's not the Shakur Stevenson that's seen as the next face of boxing. One of the bigger names that the sport will have as its crowning child as his career progresses. And once he reaches his prime, that's not what we saw. It's not what we saw at all. No way. No way. No way that's the same Shakur that we've been talking about. Absolutely not. An abysmal performance from him. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But it's, we have to, again, use utilize context. He was legitimately hurt. We've never seen Shakur look like this before. Even with dangerous opponents. Even with opponents with cachet. There was clearly something off. And what was off was an injury. They tried to allude to or try to get him to answer that directly in the ring. Kept saying, ah, I just felt off. I'm not going to get into exactly what was going on. But I just wasn't able to be myself. This was a bad performance. Quoting him now verbatim. This wasn't my best performance. This wasn't good. And it wasn't. Then going on Twitter, I believe, as of today, deleted the tweet. But still, now it's, he said, hey, I won the WBO lightweight championship. I won a title with one hand. So y'all hop off. Don't get off my case now. Again, he deleted the tweet shortly after, but still, it doesn't change the fact that he, he, he essentially admitted, yeah, I got injured. He even alluded to in that interview in the ring, I need to stop training so much. I need to give my body a break. I need to take some more rest. I need to be smarter in how I prepare for fights. That's what he said inside the ring. So, yes, he was hurt. It's, it's, it's now... We can now firmly assume he was injured based on everything that we know now. So don't take this as now this is this is the Shakur Stevenson that we will forever see. No, this isn't the Shakur that we're going to see for the future. This is this was an injured Shakur Stevenson that wasn't able to fight in the same parameters that we normally see him utilize for the whole of his career. Because again, in this fight, there were openings there. The counter hook was available. The ability to land shots when DeSantis was coming in, it was available. 
And later in the fight, okay, then he started landing some one-two combinations. He actually landed, I believe, a hook off of a jab to counter De Los Santos. I was around 10, either around 10, 11, or 12. So it wasn't like, you know, he it wasn't like he didn't see it and didn't have the openings available for him. No, he, he still made them. He still did everything that we know Shakur can do. It's just that the main Sugar Shakur Stevenson aspect that we laud him for is not just the distance management, but the countering ability. And he wasn't able to counter because he was injured. So this wasn't his best performance. This wasn't the best Shakur. Perfectly fine. Of the, again, I believe he's knocked out his past four opponents. And up until this fight, we've been saying this brother is something special. We haven't been calling him boring. We haven't been calling him a, a snooze fest type of boxer. We haven't been calling him somebody who is a, you don't need to tune in for because he it's not worth watching. No, we've been high on this brother for a reason. Don't let one performance all of a sudden quell all of that momentum and legitimate praise that we've been saying Shakur aptly deserves. It's ridiculous. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be a dumb bandwagon type of person that just hops on the hate train all because of one fight when we've seen up until this point. There's been, there shouldn't, there's, there's a need for context because this type of drastic drop-off doesn't just happen. Unless something significant has caused it to happen. For the majority of the time. Now, yes, sometimes we see fighters and athletes at some point in time, they just, boom, they just hit the wall. And it's just gone. We get it. It happens. We understand. That's not this, that's not this fight, though. That's not this fight. We know what he is in terms of Shakur Stevenson. We know what he can be. We know what he's consistently done throughout his career. So, no, don't be one to say, Oh, yeah, Shakur is now a, yeah, he's not an entertaining fighter anymore. Yeah, I'm not watching his fight again. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. It's idiotic. But there is a need for him to prove something when he fights again. Yes, there is. Now, as champ, he's got to prove something in his next fight. That, yeah, that wasn't the Shakur that you all are used to. That was a one-off, that was a one-off performance due to an injury that hindered my ability to do what I normally do. But that's not who I am. And he's, he has to prove that in his next fight. He does. Just based off the fans. And to keeping that the train going for him to maximize not only his ability to make money, but his ability to, to make sure that he will get the big fights that he wants. Yes, I know. He is champion. He is a WBC champion. He's a lightweight champion. Yes, he is now a man. One of the men that they have that the whole division has to go through. No doubt about it. To a degree now, he, he becomes unavoidable because people now, they want his belt. They must go through him. Must go through him now. Which makes for a bunch of very intriguing fights, which I would love to see. The biggest of all being, potentially, him versus Tank Davis. That's what we, we all want to see. We all want to see him versus Tank. We also all want to see him versus Shakur or him versus um, Devin Haney. Excuse me, my apologies. We want to see Shakur versus Tank and we want to see Shakur versus Devin Haney. The two of the biggest fights that we want to see. 
Y'all in the comment section have said y'all want to see that. Absolutely, I do too. But Shakur, we gotta uh, for Shakur versus Haney, we gotta wait until he moves up to one forty. But I want to see him reign and rule, and see what he got to clean out the division at one thirty five. Would love it. Would love to see that. And one of the people that will be in his wake, Lomachenko, and Devin Haney. Uh, excuse me, and Tank Davis. Excuse me. Lomachenko, love to see him fight. Shakur, would love to see Tank fight Shakur. We got a bunch of fights down the pipe that could potentially happen. That we would love to see. Love to see. It would be incredible to watch. But he's got to prove. Essentially, one, he's got to win, of course. But he's got to prove that we're anticipating those fights for the right reasons. And how do you do that? You come out guns blazing in the next fight, in your first title defense, whoever that is. You got to prove something and put to rest that this was, in fact, a fluke, bad win on your part if you're Shakur Stevens. You, you, you just have to. And he will do it. It's not getting twisted. He will do it. Absolutely, he will do it. Absolutely, he will do it. But the point still stands. Whether he does or doesn't isn't the isn't the issue. The issue is what the necessity is, what the requirement is for the rest of the fan base. Right now, many people don't have a have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to thinking of Shakur Stevens based on his last performance. As the saying goes, you're only as good as the last time that we've seen. You're only you're good. You're only as good as your last fight. So, from that standpoint, well, I don't wholeheartedly agree with that. From that standpoint, we have to say, okay, that's what the fans and the rest of the boxing public see. Other boxing, other, excuse me, other fighters, excuse me, also are saying that, oh, this brother's easy pickings. This brother's easy meat. Devin Haney, I should have only offered this bump 10% instead of the 25% based on this Horrible performance. Y'all compare him to me? A lot of people are turned off on Shakur Stevenson because of this fight. Don't be one of those people that all of a sudden use this fight as such a lofty drop-off, such a significant drop from the consistent work that we've seen Shakur Stevenson do throughout his career. All of a sudden, now was null and void because of a fight that now we can... Most we can almost assuredly say he was injured, he was hurt, he was confined to and restricted by his own body to not be able to do the things that we normally see him do. Not be able to utilize a whole half of his offensive game that we know he's capable of. Don't go into that. Don't. Let another fight happen. Then if we see the same level of bad boring snooze fest type of an affair, then yes, go into the whole spiel. Yeah. Now we got to pop. But pop the brakes. Just hold it a little bit. Just hold it. But with that being said, next round that we need to talk about, though we need to hold and reserve our whole hate for what we saw, in that fight, and how bad of a performance it was for Shakur Stevens. 
two things need to be understood. One, it's also De Los Santos' fault that this fight wasn't competitive because De Los Santos, as much non-offense that we were saying from Shakur Stevenson, De Los Santos, with all the aggressive offense you were trying to do, brother, you couldn't cut off the ring. You just couldn't. You couldn't cut off the ring consistently to get him to do what, to get him in position to land the shots that you wanted to land. Call it running. You call it running. But you can mitigate that running by being able with your athleticism to consistently have the ability to corner Shakur Stevenson if you're as good as you say that you are. If you want to turn it into a fight, you can turn it into a fight. Because you had some opportunities. You, were, you did get Shakur in the corner at, some, at a couple points in this fight. He clinched up to stop your momentum. But you could have won, fought out of that, negated the clinch, threw in a, on the exit of clinches, and then continue to try to mitigate Shakur and cut off the ring better than you did. Again, Shakur's a phenomenal boxer. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that there still is a way to get your offense off, despite how good anybody is. You just weren't good enough to make that happen. It has to be said. You just weren't good enough to make it happen. You weren't. And the fact that all he needed to do was maintain distance and out-jab you to win the fight, though it was a terrible fight. You could have made this fight way more competitive. You could have. By being the guy to stop the running. But you weren't. That's point number one. Point number two, this fight gives me a real sense, despite how bad it was. A glimpse into what we can see from Shakur versus Tank if they did fight. And it could be as much of a, of a, of a salivating type of affair that we want it to be. It could very well be this, this type of fight, again, due to the outright power that we know Tank has, coupled with the high IQ, countering ability, speed and explosiveness, a lot of the similar traits that we saw from, that we see from Shakur on a consistent basis, Delo Santos does have. Now, I'm not saying it's up to the quality. No, I'm not. But I am saying legit power, athletic, explosive, and dangerous, able to counter, speed, to the point that you, 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 you're wary of throwing your own counter lest you get caught and mistime it. A dangerous fighter is willing to come forward. They share similarities. The only thing that's, the one thing that's different in terms of them, or two, one, again, your overall skill set. We understand. Tank and De Los Santos are not the same in terms of skill. I'm not comparing them from that regard. But comparing them and the physical gifts that they have, both of them being southpaws, both of them having legitimate power, but Tank being overall better, not just better power, better mentally, better ring IQ, better footwork, and a league's better counterpuncher. Now you're going to, it's going to be a chess match between the two. Because you're not going to see Shakur come on the inside against Tank Davis. You're just not. If they did fight, you're not going to see him come on the inside. You're not going to see him come on the inside at all. You're going to try to see him bait Tank to come on the inside. 
or lunge in order to get a counter off. Again, when he's fully healthy. And then escape right back out, but be away from that power as much as he can. So we could see this same type of fight transpire. Hopefully it'll be more, with more offense from Shakur Stevenson, but Shakur's going to try to make Tank not not he's going to try to make Tank the over aggressive fighter, and then try to win off of efficiency. Because if he tries to win, and while throwing more than two punch combinations, he's he, there's a good chance he'll get knocked out because Shakur is quick, absolutely. But there's a there was a legitimate argument that could be had that DeSantos had the not just same amount of speed, but maybe slightly faster speed than Shakur Stevenson. Real argument that we that we that when I was watching the fight, that DeSantos looked slightly faster than Shakur Stevenson. Especially when he was throwing those hooks full force. Which was good reason why Shakur didn't try to come on the inside. But if Santos could be at least comparably in speed, and his speed gave Shakur trouble, what makes you think that tank speed won't give Shakur fits? Injury or no injury? What makes you think that tank speed and explosiveness, which is leagues better than DeSantos? What makes you think they won't give him fix? What makes you think it won't give him more trouble? Hence, this fight won't be between the two. They do face off against each other. There's a real chance that it might be even more stagnated than what we saw with De Los Santos versus Shakur. Due to the bigger threat of Tank, we know that Shakur isn't going to be in any way, shape, or form wanting to get close to that power. Because like I said before, he already got hurt by Oscar Valdez to the body. He already got hurt by Oscar Valdez to the body. And we know what Tank can do to the body off of a counter. Again, I just asked Ryan Garcia. Now you want to do that against somebody who's got legitimate power and better countering ability than anybody that we've seen Shakur go up against to date? One of the people that ring IQ, ring generalship, control of the ring, as well as the ability to be an aggressive fighter, walk you down and cut off the ring in his own right, better than we've seen any other opponent do against Shakur Stevenson? We know Shakur wants to stay away. And we also know Tank's going to try to force this into a close-ranged affair. That's what he's, he's going to do it. So we could see, again, that Shakur try to turn that fight into another repeat of the fight against Santos. We could see that happen. That's not, we could very well see that happen. Due to the all-in-all all skill that Tank brings, that Shakur hasn't faced to that complete of a level yet, coupled with the better physical attributes than we saw from DeSantos in this fight, which is Shakur's most physically gifted opponent that he's faced in his career. 
Oh, you best believe he'll try to turn that fight into a snooze fest. Because he doesn't want, he, he, he can't in any way, shape, or form go, go at it with exchange. He, he can't do it. He can't do it. He won't be able to do it. There's no good reason to say, yeah, go for it. If you're Shakur Stevenson, trade with him. No. He'll be even more wary of counters. He'll be even more, he'll be even more deliberate in keeping the range we've seen from any other fight in his career. And once it turns into a situation where Tank corners him and doesn't allow him to clinch, unlike we saw Santos do, now we get to a situation where then when Shakur actively has to fight, and like when I say actively fight, I mean legitimately you have to trade now in this situation because you can't clinch him and you can't stop his forward pressure. You have to trade. Now we're going to see where push comes to shove. That's where this fight's going to get interesting. But trust and belief, Shakur's going to do everything in his power to make that not happen. If we see that fight in the near future. That's exactly that. I'm just being real. It's one of the most anticipated fights that we want to see. That's exactly how we can see it happen. That's exactly how we can see it happen. But now moving on to from a fight that was incredibly boring to a fight that was incredibly exciting with Emmanuel Neverete versus Conceição for the super featherweight title. This fight in the co-main event, this was the fight that stole the night. This was a fight that was incredibly competitive. This was a fight that ended in a draw to everybody's surprise with this being the third round of the show. And the real question is... Who won this fight? Was it the right decision? Did we see a legitimate draw in this fight? And should we have had Emmanuel Neverete retain his title? Or should he have lost it? And with me watching the fight, if I'm being completely honest, Neverete, he lost the fight. Emmanuel Neverete lost that fight. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He should have lost that fight. It's not because it was just a landslide. No, it was hotly competitive and close. I understand that. Absolutely. Scored two knockdowns, one in the fourth, one in the, uh, was, was it the ninth? No, uh, one in the fourth, one in the seventh. Was, again, throwing punches like we know he likes to do. Un as unorthodox as we've seen him throughout his career. Well, to some extent. As unorthodox as we've seen him throughout his career. Going up against a game opponent in Conceição, who this was his third opportunity at a championship title. Got, again, a former Olympian as well. And both of them came to fight in Conceição. Hats off to that brother. Hats off to him. You want to talk about heart. You want to talk about passion. You want to talk about drive to win. That He made that fight spectacular. When everybody said that this fight was going to be over after round four. Especially commentating. What the world was this commentating? This was abysmal commentating by the entire group. Joe Tessitore and Timothy Brown. Not giving Conceição the legitimate credit that he absolutely deserved with this fight going in. As well as as the fight progressed. It was insane. Insane. But that's neither here nor there. Strictly talking about the fight in and of itself. I never read that he should have lost that fight. He should have lost that fight. Because outside of the knockdowns, 
I had Kent State style winning every single round. And then having never had to think one round 11. And then Kent State style winning round 12. But it ended in a draw. Two judges had it 13-13. One judge had 14-13, I believe. And in favor of Neverete. So a majority draw. And it was a close fight. The draw, I'm, it, I'm not mad at the draw. Because Emmanuel Neverete didn't do enough to win. No, he did not. But Conceitsal definitely did enough that he should have gotten a split decision. Neverete didn't do enough to win. But Conceitsal did enough to earn a split decision. And the reason why I say that is because of the fact that you have to understand, watching this fight, they were so enamored with the power and unorthodox style of Emmanuel Neverete, and justifiably so. However, his defense has never been something that's been great. Again, the best defense I've seen from him has been Oscar Beltes. But going up against Conceição, completely different story. Completely different story. The holes in Neverete's game plan or in Neverete's defense all were now being showed apparent. And Conceição did everything I have been asking every opponent to do when it comes to fighting Emmanuel Neverete. And that is don't allow him to come forward. You let him fight on the front foot, you are going to be in trouble. Because you can't go straight back. You can't really slip without danger of getting hit with a shot that you legitimately don't know where it's coming from. Now, Conceição did a phenomenal job of slipping, making Neverete miss, staying inside the pocket, not giving up ground, resetting, but then come going forward immediately and being the first to attack consistently, even when he was tired, even when he didn't have any energy, even when all of his punches were arm punches, still fought Neverete with his own style of consistent punches and volume. And it should have worked. It should have worked. And I know what you'll say. Oh, Neverete was throwing power shots. Oh, his punches were more damaging. His punches were, 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 were more eye-catching. Not doubting that. Not doubting that at all. But here's where the problem lies when it comes to gauging power versus pot shots. It shouldn't be the case that power overturns pot shotting when the pot shots are so numerous that it outweighs what would have been substantial damage done by the power shots of the other opponent. Why do I say that? Understand CompuBox. Manuel Neverete landed uh, in total punches 116 in total at 24%, just about 23.8, but 24% rounding up. Punch connector. Conceição landed 213 at 25 punch, at 25% accuracy rate. Never, Emmanuel Neverete threw 487. Conceição threw 852. There was, do you want, you have to understand. I'll go round by round and get the disparity, get the disparity of the amount of connects that was happening. When it came to both fighters in this fight. Round one. Neverete landed three punches. Three of 28 punches. Conceição, 11 of 42. Round two. Neverete, nine of 36. 
Concise out. 16 of 58. Round three. Never rotate. 8 of 47. 8 of 48. Concise out. 18 of 61. Never rotate. Round four. 12 of 43. Concise out. 15 of 60. Round five. Never rotate. 7 of 38. Concise out. 19 of 64. Never rotate. 7 of 36. Concise out. 19 of 68. Round seven. Never rotate. 7 of 33. Concise out. Again, 8, 19 of 68. Round 8. Never rotate 8 punches of 34. Concise out 25 punches of 84. Round 9. Never rotate 8 punches of 38. Concise out 18 of 63. Round 10. Concise out, or excuse me, never rotate 13 of 43. Concise out 15 of 78. Round 11. Never rotate 26 of 65. Concise out 21 of 91. Round 12. Never rotate 8 of 42. Concise out 17 of 108. Never rotate didn't land more than 10 punches for nearly 10 rounds. It wasn't until round 10 that Never Rate cracked plus 10 punches landed. Conceisau, the entire fight, landed more shots than Never Rate. As well as making sure that Never Rate's volume was outmatched by his own volume. Not to mention, you want to say, oh, but Never Rate was landing the power shots like I alluded to earlier? Conceisau landed more power shots. 101. To 95. This was a situation where Neverette got beat at his own game. And, and, and he should have lost. Neverette is normally the man that comes forward, throws in volume, throws with high amount of stamina, power, and consistency throughout the rounds. Throughout rounds. And makes his opponent not able to throw. And get their offense because they're so overwhelmed with what's coming at them. It was the flip side in terms of this fight. Manuel Neverette, relative to what we don't want to see him do, was rendered null and void, was made to miss, was constantly being ineffective, wasn't able to land anything. It, it wasn't until late that his punches were really starting to get through. Again, landing a knockdown, two knockdowns in the fight, understandable. But the defense of Kansai was legitimately good was making Neverete miss wildly, was countering, was throwing the jab and straight back to back to back to back to back to back. Never let his foot off the gas. Consistently putting Neverete on the back foot, had control of the fight. There's no reason, both when you watch the fight and when you look at the numbers, that it shouldn't have been a concise style in a close fight. Shouldn't have won. There's no reason to say that he shouldn't have won. Conceição should have been should be champion right now. He should be. Conceição did everything you need to do to win a fight against a man you never rotate. Every single tactic I've been wanting somebody to do: staying in the pocket, not being afraid of Neverete's strange offense, not backing up, being able to. Muff and 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 create 
not not give the range necessary for never rotate combinations to actually take effect, nor to get full power, nor to act, nor to be unblockable like they normally are. Moving your head, reading the off pattern type of offense that he likes to throw and being able to slip while staying in the pocket. Resetting and then getting immediately back on the offensive. Mully, muddying his vision with just constant bombardment of shots. Because with Neverete's offense, you or with his defense, excuse me, his defense is his, is his offense. When you actually got to fight him and you overwhelm him, holes become apparent, as we can see here. With, again, Conceição routinely landing. Ten or more shots in every round. There was all, all, all but one round that can say Sal land less than 15 punches. As opposed to rendering Neverete to all but one, two, three rounds getting above 10. All but three rounds getting above 10. Barely got above eight for the majority of that fight. There's, there's no reason, no reason at all that Neverete should have won that. It, it, it should, he shouldn't have won that fight. If you watch the fight, he shouldn't have won that fight. The judges gave too much credence to something that shouldn't have been given as much credence to. Power punches should take precedent. When it comes to every other shot, I wholeheartedly agree. And if it was a relatively consistent ratio between the disparity of punches that was landed on you versus the amount of power punches that you were being able to land in the fight per round, no problem. But when it's this egregious, when it's this egregious and you're made to miss as much as Navarrete was made to miss, no. No, that's a bad decision. It's a bad decision for it to be a draw. Though, again, like I said before, Navarrete didn't do enough to win. He didn't do enough to win. From that respect, it's a good decision. But in the whole of a fight, bad decision. Not a robbery, but a bad decision. Because Conceição did enough to, that he should have won that fight. Purely based on boxing. Took the fight to him, had control, was consistently overwhelming Neverete, which is what Neverete normally does to other opponents. Yes, Neverete has a great chance, so he wasn't necessarily hurt. Understandable. But Conceição was consistently able to counter Neverete, was consistently, consistently able to make him miss, consistently able to land multi-punch combinations throughout the entirety of the fight. And rendered Neverete's normal style of offense, nothing but he somehow contained the Neverete that we normally watch run through everybody. And it only got him a draw. It's ridiculous. You land power punches, but if it's not at the requisite rate of the amount of volume and legitimate connects that you are being hit by, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be enough to balance out. This isn't even like with Tim Tassu, who doesn't throw a lot of power shots, or doesn't throw a lot of punches in general. But he is efficient and effective 
when he does land, as well as rendering his opponent to also miss. So that when the fight, when the when you look at the fight, both in the numbers and in the round, you clearly see, okay, rendered his opponent's offense ineffective by not allowing it to touch him, being good defensively. And then throwing less but landing the more significant shots. And they're both relatively close to each other. Though he didn't throw as much. And even if he landed slightly less, he won that round. Because he clearly had control. Rendered the opponent's offense null and void. Had great defense. Was in control of the fight. And his shots were more damaging relative to the, while the other opponent scored more, it wasn't, he kept the disparity close. So, power shots get the advantage. No problem there. This isn't that. This is not, this is not that at all. Uh-uh. Can say South should have won this fight. He should have won this fight. He should have won this fight. Because now it's just a precedent for everybody else who fights. Never had to. You can have the same performance. And it won't get you a win. You have to knock them out. You have to. To the degree I want to say that, I, and I don't know what the, again, announcers were saying, were watching Mark Kriegel with that type of score. That was ridiculous. Having it tied up with four, in, in the first four rounds. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. No. Concise South should have won that fight in a very close affair. But valuing power punches, while it is acceptable and understandable and should be done, it should not be just blindly done when you are constantly getting peppered with shots. Just because the shots don't hurt the opponent doesn't mean that the other fighter isn't being effective. It just doesn't. It doesn't mean that the other fighter isn't doing enough to win. We Shakur Stevenson, the very next fight, wasn't throwing a lot, was making DeSantos miss, though DeSantos was being aggressive, and won the, won the fight without barely throwing any power punches at all, just off the jab. It was efficient and effective. But it was DeSantos that was trying to make the pace of the action Again, I'm not comparing the two skill sets. Now I understand that the fights were different. But using that as a general reference. And we've seen fighters take that same approach of low output, high efficiency, and or high volume, but high connect rate relative to the volume. And it should it, it he should have won. He should have won. He should have won that fight. There's no reason in the world. That if you beat somebody at their own game, high volume versus high volume, and you consistently land more than them while also throwing more than them at a very significant rate, nah, uh-uh, that's ridiculous. It's it, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that he lost that fight. He should have won that fight. And we should be saying Kinsaitau is the is 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 the new champion. We should be. And I'm adamant about this fight specifically because I I respect Neverich absolutely. He's fun to watch absolutely, but I hate watching him 
because there's so much stuff that he does wrong, and it's not like Roy Jones Jr., where he does it wrong, but it's right, and it's sweet music to whoever watches his fight. Never rotates fighting style. It's entertaining, absolutely. I just hate it. It's like James Harden. I hate the way that he plays, but it's, it's always effective. But it's a song that I don't like. That's fine. We still give credit and respect to where respect is due. We also understand that that fighting style has a beatable game plan attached to it. And we saw it in this fight. We saw it clear as day. Everything that I wanted to happen. Liam Smith almost made it happen. But he got knocked out. By Never Rachel when Never Rachel was able to come back. But Liam Smith also did everything. Correctly. He just got caught and wasn't able to recover. Conseil Sal did everything correctly. Survived all 12 rounds. And outside of knockdowns. Should have won, in my opinion, every round since. Because he rendered Never Rotate's offense null and void for the most part. For the majority of the fight. And had enough volume as well as legitimate connect percentage. And connect just in general. Total. Per round. Stuff was consistently getting through. At a better rate than what Neverete was throwing. Or landing. For the entire fight. Nah, this was a bad decision. It was a bad decision. Conceição should be the winner. Conceição should be the winner. In every metric and compu box and if you watch the fight again, you will see Neverete, he, he, he did not do enough. To win this fight. Because he got beat by his own game plan. Yes he wasn't hurt. That doesn't mean he didn't lose. He lost. Conceição's face looked worse. But he performed better. The entire fight. Damage doesn't always equate. To winning. A bludgeoning fighter. With heavy hands. Doesn't take much to get you looking bad or knock you down. But that doesn't mean that it should render the legitimate connects that an opponent was landing null and void if the distinction was so far and away better than you in terms of the amount of punches he was landing on you versus when your heavy hands actually did connect. Because the opponent then is making you miss, making you look silly. Making your type of offense not effective. Then while in the meantime, in this fight particularly, beating you at your own game. Out-voluming me. Out-voluming you. Out-throwing you. Making you fight on the back foot. Taking control of this fight. Consistently landing. It isn't just ho-hum. You're throwing and still ain't much getting through. No, stuff's consistently getting through. This was a bad decision. There's nowhere else to put it. It's a bad decision. Conseil should be champion right now. Not Emmanuel Never. He should. He, Emmanuel Never right. He should not be champion. Don't worry. Somebody's gonna come along and beat this man. Hopefully, Robertson Conseil gets a rematch, and I hope he does. 
Absolutely. I want to see his brother fight again. Maybe we think this was his last opportunity. It better not be. Doggone it. It better not be. He better get another shot. After the performance that he put up. Absolutely. I want to see him in the ring again. But if not him, somebody else will. Because Neverett's game plan is too wild. And not as technically refined defensively for somebody not to take advantage of it. It's, 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 it's too much. Uh-uh, no. Somebody's going to come along and wipe the floor with this brother. They're going to do it. They're going to do it because we already see it. As he's moved up, he's already had two fights. We've had to work harder than he's ever had to work before. Nearly, again, knocked down and nearly knocked out in his debut in the division. You got people better than can say so who got more belts. That, uh-uh, they coming. Fight them if you dare. And runs at some point in time. Maybe it's not this division either. Maybe it's, maybe it's when he moves up. Either way, you're going to get put out. If you're Mango Neverette, it's getting closer and closer that your skill set isn't being as effective. Now that you're going up against people with your similar build, closer in range, they also have pop, they got better chins, and they can throw and match your volume as well. Oh, it's getting closer and closer. We're going to see that championship lose from Neverette sooner rather than later, in my humble estimation. That's what I got happen. But he shouldn't be champion. He should not be champion at all. In my estimation. Because Kinsei Sal did enough in that fight to legitimately get the victory. Because just because you don't, just because he lost steam on his punches and lost power, still, he was connecting at such a high volume, even with his own volume of his own, at such a high volume, and the distinction was so broad compared to what Emmanuel Neverete was throwing as well as the volume that Neverete was throwing at. No. Uh-uh. He should have won. He should have won. Because they thought should have won that fight. Point blank. Period. Plain and simple. But now for the final portion of the show. I said we're going to talk about the NBA. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We have to discuss James Harden. And talk about drama in Los Angeles. Not the L.A. Lakers, but the L.A. Clippers. Ever since they made this trade for James Harden, they have been looking not good at all. This team has lost five games straight with James Harden on the squad. James Harden's only averaging 15 points, four assists, and four boards in his, again, brief stint with the Clippers since he's been on the roster. In a situation where he's, he's shooting 47% from the field, granted 37% from three, but still... It's not great. It's not great. It really isn't looking good for the Clippers. And there's a real distinction that we need to say in terms of what the, the, the difference is with that team before Harden and after Harden. One, they were well better, better well-rounded as a team as a whole. And two, excuse me, <laughs> and two, Westbrook was working. The problem with the Clippers with James Harden on the squad now is that now with him and Westbrook playing on the same team, 
they it's you can't have two dominant playmakers when both of them can't play off the ball. They just can't. Westbrook's looked leagues better since he's gotten on the Clippers than he was on the Lakers. No doubt about it. His fit works because what his skill set is and what it calls for fits better with what that makeup of the team is. He dishes Kawhi and Paul George are the two dominant scorers. You got Zubox and Frank, you can throw lobs to, but Westbrook can then go and drive down low if he needs to or kick it. And then you got the defensive ability of the rest of the team before the trade. Now, okay, yeah, we can then get back on defensive play like we need to play. Granted, the defense, it was, it's not as good as we've seen in the past, but still, point blank, period. Better than what we're seeing now. Now with James Harden on the squad, not only, can they not, not only can they not stop anybody, but now the offenses look drastically different. And to, my, to, my, to my opinion, drastically worse. Now, granted, could it be that, or grant not, excuse me, not could it be. It is the fact that since James Harden set out from Daryl Morey, set out from the 76ers, he's getting back into basketball shape. He said it himself. I need to get back in rhythm. Shots is how I get back in rhythm. That's what he said on the bench to team, to, to his teammates, to his players. I believe to Kawhi Leonard. The more shots I make, the better, the, the more I'm getting back in touch with who I can be. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. No problems there. That doesn't change the fact that you, you right now, again, this isn't the James Harden of old, and it's not the Russell Westbrook of old. And it's, it's not 27 points from Westbrook, 8-8, eight and eight, and then 32-9-6 from James Harden. It's not the Houston Rockets versions of these people anymore. And since that's the case, they still both play the same way relatively when they're on the floor. Again, they've adapted the game in, in some respects, but still. On-ball dominant players who can't play off the ball and are worse offensively and defensively than they've ever been in their careers. Westbrook has now found a way to reignite what we've seen from the Westbrook of old, not from the outright 30-point triple-double season that we've know for, know, known him for in the past, but he's found where his offense works and is bought into the defense that needs to be done. And it's to a degree, can be an average defender. Slightly above average on better nights. But still, Harden, it's not the case. Stagnating the offense. Yes, we know he can be a playmaker, but apparently he hasn't been able to since, again, he's sharing the ball with Westbrook. So it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The makeup of the team doesn't work. After the trades, now the team looks, it doesn't look as deep. It looks, it doesn't look as, it looks more gutted. Defense, and depth isn't what it needs to be. All Everything's pointing in a downward spiral for the Clippers. The only thing that's been rectified now is Westbrook said he's opted to go on the bench, has requested to go on the bench for the Clippers to play with the second unit. And that could be phenomenal. That could be great. That could be exactly what fixes this whole situation. And I'm glad he's got. he's now mature. And getting to a point where he, I mean, he's always done what needs to be done for the team. Regardless of what I've said about his, again, bad play when he was in Los Angeles. And it was bad. I'm not changing that. He played like a bump. Yes, he did. 
his presence on that team made that team as a whole worse in all regards. Shot them out of games, made dumb passes, was a turnover machine. Would give would get tunnel vision. What wasn't great at all. Deserved the criticism. And still deserves it for that time in LA. Now when the Clippers, he's rectified it. He's looking a lot better. And matured to the point now he wants to play on the second unit to let James Harden be what James Harden normally is, which is the main dominant ball handling savant playmaker for the entire squad. That could change everything, potentially. It also could make it even worse. Because the James Harden now, it's worse than the James Harden that we saw in the past, even last season with the 76. It just is. And now you got to rev him back up after the whole debacle that was with him in Philadelphia, him and Daryl Morey, get him back in tune with the basketball shape that he wants to get into. This is it's all not great for the outlook of the Clippers. And it makes this team's window of opportunity that they've been trying to get to a championship, trying to get to a title, just trying to get over the hump of Luka Doncic. Getting out of the second round, it's all been for naught at this stage of the development process. And we need to start saying, maybe they need to start blowing some things up. Because this experiment has seemed like it should be a surefire way to get to a championship. At least get to the Western Conference Finals. It seems like it should be that road with Kawhi and PG as the leading men in the helm. With, at that point in time, great depth, great defense. With shooting on all accounts, switchability on the defensive end. Isolation scoring and team play. It should, it should work. It should work. By all accounts, it should work, but it never has. And so since it hasn't, now with this next move with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, this might be, it might, it might be time to start saying we might need to start calling it a day on this team as we know it now. And potentially to blow it up. Because one, Kawhi and Paul George are never healthy. And specifically Kawhi Leonard, number two, is always out. Now with the new rules in terms of how many, when athletes need to play on the floor and when players need to play on the floor to help mitigate load management, we could see a more consistent pay, play between the two, which is fine. But that then leads to more injury-prone opportunities or more injury opportunities for an injury-prone Kawhi Leonard. And to a lesser degree, Paul George, but still Prone nonetheless. So whether they can stay healthy or not is the biggest concern, but it's not the only concern. Because y'all two have not worked, even when you are healthy. Whether it's because Paul George folded in the offseason, or whether it's just whether it's because Kawhi Leonard was not available. Now we get it, offseason isn't the only thing that matters. That's right. Yeah, absolutely right. We value the we value the regular season in this on this channel, on this show. In general, yes, we do. And what this offseason needs to prove is that you all can get the chemistry necessary 
to actually make a run that you've been saying that you're in line to make for the past four to five years with ever since Kawhi and PG got on your team. Ever since Patrick Beverly was saying, oh, it's our year. It's our championship. It's our league to run. When he was on that squad. Ever since y'all have been touted as a legitimate threat for anybody in the West, y'all have to prove something this year. Because if not, I have to start saying it might be time to blow things up. And James Harden could be the the straw that breaks the camel's back for this team. Because you don't have any more opportunities after this. After you move on from James Harden, what are you going to do? People aren't, uh, let's face it, teams aren't going to want him. He's probably going to demand what uh, only specific options to get traded to. And if he gets mad, as we've seen in the past, and doesn't like his situation, he will force his way out. But now his trade value isn't anywhere where it needs to be. If he does get traded. And then if you let him go, well, you don't get him for anything. You might have, maybe you have some cap space to be able to get some more pieces, but even still, by that point in time, you might, be, you might still be saying, hey, we, we got to break something up. Somebody's got to go, potentially. Lest if some, one of the two gets injured again this year with a significant injury, there's a lot of dyke, there's a lot of muddied waters when it comes to the Los Angeles Clippers right now. And they're going to be agitated with James Harden on the squad. They already are, with this team looking worse and worse and worse and worse consistently. As since he's been on the squad. Could it get better? Absolutely. Will it get better? Only time will tell. But right now, it looks like a real mistake that they got Harden and Westbrook on the team at the same time. With Westbrook now wanting to be put to on the bench to play with the second unit, will this make a difference and allow for Harden to blossom into the Harden that can actually make this team be effective and win? Or is it going to be a situation where it's another failed experiment? And we again see the Clippers and James Harden, specifically James Harden. We see him at odds with the organization. This doesn't want, this isn't going to work. Get me out of here. That's very well what we could see happen. This isn't trying to hate on James Harden. This is following the pattern of track record that we've seen from him in every situation that he's been in. Most of them have been with Daryl Moore, but even outside of Daryl Moore. He's forced his way out when stuff doesn't go and fit the way he wanted it to fit. When it was him, Kyrie, and Katie, when Kyrie wasn't available consistently for a multitude of reasons, then Jordan said, hold on, I didn't, I didn't come on this team for this. Not for a two-man squad. Not for a two-man tandem. I came in for a three-headed monster. What the world is Kyrie out. All this stuff is going right. This ain't what I signed up for. I'm out. Get me out of here. I'm demanding a trade right now. Done. Philadelphia, 
Done. I got lied to. I didn't get the max contract I was promised. I'm out. Finito. I'm gonna leave. Jay, I'm gonna leave Joel Embiid by to his own devices. And granted, they've been on a tear since he's gotten off the team. Tyree Max has been playing phenomenal. Joel Embiid's been playing phenomenal. Again, akin to that MVP level status. Joker just steal the MVP of my season right now. But Joel Embiid's playing phenomenal. Don't get it twisted. Absolutely. At an MVP caliber level. Sixers just got just lost after a long win streak. Was it eight games, seven games? Phenomenal. Look better without you. Very well, we could be saying. And right now, we are saying. The Clippers look better without you, James Harden. Now that they got you, they're nowhere near as effective as they were. Are you the problem? And if you are the problem, nobody's going to want to take you on after this unless you show something different. Unless you show that you are different. Unless you show that you are effective. If you don't, well... The next time you go looking for a home, nobody's going to answer the knock when you get on their door. Nobody's going to answer you when you go to knocking on the door. It's going to be a crying shame. Hopefully it doesn't happen. You don't want to see everybody succeed. But that's the reality of this whole affair. And with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the show. I'm so grateful for all of you all coming on and spending your time with me on this Friday afternoon, night, whenever the world, Saturday, whenever the world, you're listening to this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Music Podcast. Share us with everybody. Like, Leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together absolutely again we'll be back next week for all the happenings in the sports world peace and love we are out of here